Welcome to Community Foundation Coffee Talks, a podcast for community foundations to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we're continuing the conversation on COVID-19 concerns in donor management. This discussion comes from a webinar that was recorded on April 29th. The topic areas covered were funding for immediate versus long-term needs, donor fatigue and how to prevent it, and donor engagement. All right, let's join the conversation. The first voice we are going to hear is our discussion moderator, Margaret Owen Spiek. I'm going to start us off with thinking about uh, focusing on what our immediate need or fundraising for immediate needs versus long-term recovery. How are you guys balancing um, those different initiatives or starting to communicate around that with your donors and then some other basic donor engagement things as far as um, continued fundraising strategy and keeping your um, COVID-19 donors sticky and engaged with your organization and then starting to talk about some long-term changes in operations. So get us kicked off today. Um, I've heard a lot of people starting to talk about uh, what they're going to do outside of their immediate response right now. So um, has anybody started to focus on what the next six to 18 months look like for funding? Hi, I'm with the Community Foundation of the Ozarks in Springfield, Missouri. Welcome. Thanks for raising your hand and getting us started. <laughs> sure. Um, so we have we have begun conversations about what our next phase of COVID funding looks like. We're, um, we're in our fifth week of grant making for our COVID immediate response programming, which has been focused on populations of significant needs. So um, individuals in poverty, the homeless, individuals um, fleeing domestic violence, medically fragile individuals, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we've been funding agencies in that field right now. And we're moving toward what we're kind of loosely defining as nonprofit stabilization grant making. And mm -hmm. um, we're still a little ways away from what that's going to look like. And we're hoping to start that in June. So that's part of why I'm listening today, because I'm hoping to get some good ideas. Well, I, I, that's great. Um, what would you say moving towards that means? Are you guys just mentally moving towards defining what that is, or are you starting to redefine what grant making looks like for you? Well, normally during this time, we would be working on our next fiscal year's grant making pools mm -hmm. because our, our fiscal year would start July 1st. Um, this year, it is obviously a very different kind of year, and so rather than um, running some of those regular grant rounds that we would run in the fall, mm -hmm. we're going to do this COVID nonprofit stabilization effort. So at this point, it's somewhat a budgeting effort and mm -hmm. um, trying to narrow down what nonprofits we want to prioritize in this effort because we have, there are a lot of needs and we have lim pretty limited funding. Great. Perfect. Thank you so much. Um, any other hands? Sure, I'm one of the 3% in Ontario. I'm the Oakville Community Foundation. Um, so the things we've, we've, we've been doing a minor pivot, um, but more to the point of just trying to lay seed to let our fund holders know uh, that there, there's going to be continued need beyond what we've obviously done to date. Um, up to this point, we've raised just over a million dollars in our fund, um, of which 550,000 has been uh, executed and we distributed all those dollars out the door so we do have additional funding that is earmarked for now um, but of that about 200,000 is our next phase and that's really where we're shifting the conversation whenever we're chatting with people about opportunities for them to recognize the needs that will uh, with the reopening process that this is a very much of an unknown and building acceptance to the unknown for charities being they may not be able to deliver on the programs that they previously did, but they still have a need to open and a need to serve and a need to support. So I think that's been our biggest um, effort to date, and it will certainly become a new aspect of our language in, uh, in uh, starting likely in June to any and everybody that uh, contacts us with respect to contributions. Mm-hmm. Um. It's really interesting to think about the timeline there, Sarah, as far as starting starting in June. Um, and I would be interested to see if people have similar timelines as well. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. 
Hi, Dean Miller from Los Altos Community Foundation in uh, Silicon Valley. We focus on three communities, um, not dissimilar to the other foundations. We also launched our response fund. We're in the midst of that and uh, have been raising dollars from the community as well for that. Um, but I've been looking out around the, uh, the sort of more six to 18 month timeline and really trying to anticipate what a W um, is going to look like for us. So for that, we've been looking at our normal grant making cycle, um, intentionally repositioning it so that when it runs, which would be uh, July, August, it will actually provide general operating support for those organizations coming out of hibernation or those who need a little bit of bridge funding to resume operations um, or some shore of their cash position in order to be able to actually operate. And then we anticipate we'll have a second round of emergency funding sometime in the late fall, early winter as, mm -hmm. you know, this W sets in, for instance, mm -hmm. um, and then sort of repeat the cycle, if you will, uh, that mm -hmm. we're in right now and then go back in, out into recovering and long term, I think, rebuilding. So that's how we look at it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, trying to articulate to, that to our donor base, which is, I think, feeling the fatigue already. It's mm -hmm. a much harder sell because we're talking not about a, a six to eight week sprint we're talking really really you know years long marathon mm -hmm. how do you sustain giving that time frame mm -hmm. thanks for the opportunity to comment uh thank you dean um i think it's interesting toggling back and forth between kind of you know what the cycle could look like with COVID 19 and then the um you know toggling between emergency funding and then long term and back to emergency funding as necessary but i think you bring up a really great point as far as um the donor fatigue and we'll talk about that a little later but essentially <laughs> you know you're running a long-term campaign here as far as continuing to bring this issue to the forefront of donors and so i'm going to be interested to hear how people are wrapping their minds around that. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, thank you again for this opportunity. Uh, similar to the Ozarks and a couple of other community foundations, uh, the Idaho Community Foundation, our, we set up our COVID-19 fund specifically as the response and recovery fund. And over the past month here, we just actually sent out our fourth round of grant making here in Idaho. Uh, I believe it was yesterday our team did, but has been definitely focused on the response portion of the grant making. And mm -hmm. we are already starting to think about ways. We have a steering committee that uh, our CEO and others on our team are working with to look at the recovery portion um, when it comes to our nonprofits in Idaho. And as far as fundraising, I, I serve as the chief development officer at the Idaho Community Foundation. So I'm on more of that side of the fence than the mm -hmm. actual grant making part. But uh, definitely our focus these first several weeks, we're reaching out to our current fund holders, donor advised fund holders specifically, making them aware of the COVID-19 fund that we had started, but also just encouraging grant making in their respective communities or areas or nonprofits. Uh, we, I, I would say we got a fairly good response for those donor advised fund get, getting grants out. Mm -hmm. from their perspective funds, but it also served, uh, if, if anything else, it served as a great opportunity to cultivate and steward those donor advised fund holders. And uh, also Legacy Society, I would say, our, our estate planning conversations did not decrease. They actually increased the tad, unfortunately, I'll say, uh, because it was for unfortunate yeah. reasons, but um, that was another point. Yeah, interesting. And I guess I just want to, you know, throw out the comment that there, you know, there may be this entire pool of donors who are kind of waiting to see what the responses are being um, mindful about understanding how to effectively make that impact as opposed to being um, immediately reactive. And so that might be an entirely other uh, channel of communication that you could have um, mm -hmm. across the board. Um, thank you, Chris. I am the director of the Toledo Jewish Community Foundation. We are not established as a set alone a community foundation. We are part of a functional Jewish federation. Uh, and we have, from our grant perspective, were grants that were to take place within fiscal year uh, 2019 to 2020, and that would be with the June 30 date. We mm -hmm. have um, informed those beneficiary agencies that we will be deferring their grants 
as they are not in the ability right now to uh, sorry I have another call in a few minutes yeah. Reminders. So sorry. I do that too. <laughs> For a few moments here. Um, we are deferring that, uh, giving people the opportunity to be able to hopefully initiate some of the programs and services that they wanted to do this fiscal year to next. So we have moved forward with that. We are a, um, I would reiterate that we're reaching out to all of our donor advised fund holders and we've asked them for support for our COVID relief fund. Um, we are not, that is not a, a huge push right now because we want to understand the state of the needs before we uh, mm -hmm. designate funds solely for these purposes. And this is, we have made some funds to the general community, but within the Jewish community, we are um, waiting to have a better understanding. So in our outreach to those fund holders, we've indicated that the funds would be designated to COVID relief. However, in the event that they would not be utilized anytime in the next year or two, that we would be able to use those funds as part of our um, general emergency safety net funds. So we're mm -hmm. doing that. We, um, we finding, we're finding that, um, at least my first few weeks were spent, we're very small staff. I'm a very small mm -hmm. staff. So I spend time in investment arena and other areas. And I found that uh, most of the conversations with our community leaders really focused on the market volatility and what's that going to mean. Mm -hmm. And that's why I was kind of curious to see if this call, I'm going to have to listen to the recording, regrettably, uh, to mm -hmm. see how organizations are addressing those issues in light of the market volatility. And I think mm -hmm. it's also making people very cautious about their own particular personal funds, their donor advisement values, and the mm -hmm. fact that the IRA um, RMD is really, that requirement has been moved. I think that we're gonna all find ourselves with some challenges uh, right now in the year to come. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping to hear what others have to say. Okay. Um, does anybody have a direct response to Arlene? Uh, so it's sort of connected. We, we, and I was just trying to run a quick report. Thank you very much, Margaret, for these great tools you've provided us with. Um, <laughs> just a good shout out. There you go. Found it. Um, we are, we're heavily donor advised fund holder uh, balance. So when I say that, it means the majority of our funds are controlled by our fund holders and they have the ability to grant obviously wherever they can and know that differs in different community foundations there's different terminology but that's our structure so 92 percent of the funds uh, that we hold are controlled by fund holders and uh, typically they grant in the third quarter to fourth quarter of our year our fiscal year ending in december uh, 31st i can say to you right now we've executed and, and distributed over 40% of what it would typically um, go out in the fall. So we, like yourself in, um, in uh, pardon me, Toledo, um, probably experiencing the same thing in, in the sense that, you know, our fund holders have already done a lot up front. Um, mm -hmm. And the challenge is going to be the momentum down the road. So mm -hmm. it's really to go and speak to Idaho's approach. I think it's about, you know, tapping into the, the, the new and the potentials that are there, even in that conversation with legacy. So it's just, when I reference that we've already distributed 550,000, um, majority of that is existing fund holders who have mm -hmm. granted. That is not new dollars by and large, there's only about 130,000 of that is actual new dollars. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, the challenge would be the long, definitely the long term in terms of what fund holders have available and if they are able to step up and provide any additional. That's mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. um, a really great opportunity to start thinking about different channels of giving um, as far as the deferred gift piece of it. And you hopefully will be having lots of conversations with your donors, whether they're able to give immediately during this time. And so you've done a good amount of cultivation and hopefully setting up for, for those conversations. So um, I think that's a great point, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so uh, who else do we have here? I'm with the Hampton Roads Community Foundation. We're in coastal Virginia, Southeast Virginia. Um, we just completed our first round of uh, rapid response grants that we did in a joint collaboration with United Way, which was new for us. Mm -hmm. um, but just put out about a half million dollars, uh, a little over a half million dollars in grants for a phase one 
um, rapid response. We are doing a phase two that'll be focused on that recovery piece. Mm -hmm. I don't think we're looking 18 months out. I would say <laughs> that's more like, gosh, maybe three to six months out. Yeah. Um, and we're still putting that together, what that, what that's going to look like. The, um, thought process right now is that it, it may be more focused on, um, nonprofits that need financial assistance, less focused on, um, direct services. Got it. Um, we also have a giving circle that does annual grants and they, um, decided last month that they wanted to change their annual grant focus to away from, um, you know, programmatic and um, long-term impact and, and to do more rapid response for COVID-19. Um, that giving circle right now is in the process of reviewing applications and those grants will go out um, in a couple weeks. So that was really interesting. The Giving Circle's been around for more than 10 years um, mm -hmm. to see them kind of step up of their own volition. Mm -hmm. um, and then like Idaho, and I'm sure a lot of other foundations, we are definitely making calls to our fund holders, um, helping them direct grants to nonprofits that um, are coming to us with needs above and beyond the rapid response grant requests, um, very specific needs. And so we're helping donors uh, meet those needs. And then also talking to legacy society members and, and other folks to let them know about our fund, the fund that we set up that it will continue to do phase two work um, as that plays out. As far as um, what our typical grant cycle looks like on the for the foundation um we are we are expecting to do something um you know more in line with our our areas of focus or capital projects um but i, I that's gosh easily six months if not deferred would be my guess um for some time to come mm -hmm. um just because of the way the timeline of the pandemic is playing out in our region, yeah. which is they slowly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, great. So um, if I understand that correctly, you're saying that your giving circle is focusing on something slightly different than the organization as a whole. So you're kind of taking a two pronged approach there. Is that correct? Yes. The giving yeah, circle I, um, has had an interest in a particular um, Air, like community area of need and yeah. so they wanted their grants to support organizations um, they they have a focus on on uh, supporting opportunity youth mm -hmm. and so they wanted to support organizations that explicitly work with opportunity youth but not have it be tied to um, programmatic support more focused on um, you know, helping feed people or whatever those, yeah. however those organizations are currently pivoting to, to support people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kate, I actually got a question in the chat box for you. Um, do you guys have certain amounts of grants with minimum and maximums on them during your latest round of rapid response? Do our minimum maximum amount of lost revenue i'm looking at the chat window yeah or min minimum um minimum and maximum amounts just on the grants did you put a min and a max on them it looks like oh um so the goal was for the grants to max out at twenty five thousand. uh-huh um okay so and 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 for them to be smaller grants and and again part of that was because of this collaboration with mm -hmm. um, United Way and sort of their, mm -hmm. the way that they do grant making, um, you know, different institutions, slightly different than the way the community foundation does. So mm -hmm. it was this collaborative piece. Um, for our giving circle, those grants, we advertised to the nonprofits that they would be in the five to $25,000 range. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be surprised if they actually decide to give some organizations more. Okay. Um, awesome. That would be great. Um, somebody asked, I'm, I'm throwing this back out to the group here. Um, what types of nonprofits are you seeing within the recovery phase beyond response? Um, 
Somebody said people who have been dormant um, or need a little bridge funding, but does anybody um, see specific types of organizations that you're focusing on within those groups? Sally Cross with the Community Foundations of the Hudson Valley. Um, we have a lot of arts and cultural and environmental groups that have lost mm -hmm. obviously a lot of immediate support. I'm actually on the board mm -hmm. of a local land trust. Mm -hmm. um, but also for many of those groups, they've lost a huge amount of earned revenue, mm -hmm. um, whether it's museum admissions, and they're sort of not, not on the radar as the immediate response, right? And they're, yeah. because I'm in the Hudson Valley of New York, just north of the epicenter of the mm -hmm. um, outbreak, we're gonna be shut down largely through the summer, if not mm -hmm. beyond. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm -hmm. that's a pretty devastating loss for many of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, getting both on donors' radars, but also trying to figure out how they can operate recovering that earned income, plus many are also facing either cutbacks in state aid that they might have gotten for various programs or mm -hmm. already delayed payments, incredibly de delayed payments for services that have already been rendered. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I just spoke with another founder employee who's on the board of a local historical society, and this was a big conversation for them as well. Yeah, and um, that's another one that I've had conversations with, so. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, is anybody else seeing um, similar things or different things? Thank you, Sally. I appreciate it. So I think like all other funders, we're, we're trying to conceive of what the different phases of mm -hmm. uh, work will be needed to fuel the relief efforts. Mm -hmm. um, I think just because of what triggered all of this, um, uh, medical terms came to mind for us. And so we ran with that. The, the first phase of work, which we're just now wrapping up, was really a triage. Um, and now, now we're moving into a more surgical phase where we're mm -hmm. going to be uh, relying on our resident engagement strategies Mm -hmm. uh, in partnering with the local school districts, which mm -hmm. know right down to the to the street level uh, mm -hmm. where our, our most at-risk at populations are, mm -hmm. and um, and they already have ties. So we're so we're going to be looking to see beyond the um, the needs that we need to fill at the macro level. Um, mm -hmm. What are people experiencing at, at the micro level, and what what do we need to do? Mm -hmm. uh, but then also thinking about what 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 do we need to prepare for in the in the post op phase of this, mm -hmm. uh, part of which is um, helping to make the nonprofit sector whole again. And mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear that others are looking at that as well. Uh, mm -hmm. We haven't conceived of how we will do that, but I picked up some good ideas from comments made today. Mm -hmm. But we're also anticipating that there's going to be some um, deferred. Um, needs that we're not hearing about now that mm -hmm. are going to surface in the next nine to 18 months or beyond. Mm -hmm. um, uh, um, higher levels of child abuse that aren't going to be detected until kids are back in school. Yeah. Uh, and, and things like that, that we need to make sure we have um, some plans in place. Mm -hmm. uh, also, the, the, the uh, mental health needs of the community post pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're anticipating the potential for widespread PTSD throughout, throughout the community. And, mm -hmm. uh, and we're beginning to put the partners in place to put a plan together and so mm -hmm. we can understand what we need to support. Um, but the, the other thing we've been talking about recently is that you know, this is a moment in time where we need to um, re reconfirm ourselves to addressing issues related to inequities. Yeah, and um, I, th I think it, it is so glaringly apparent to us who is suffering, and I, I think it really behooves us to to make sure that we don't um, lose, lose sight of that. Mm -hmm. of addressing what what the most immediate issues are right now. Mm -hmm. So, so we're looking forward to transitioning into um, ma making a big focus on that once we get through the. The, uh, current most immediate needs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was interesting just highlighting some of those um, 
communities of people where really only time can tell as far as like children back in school and all of that. That's um, great. Dan, which organization were you from? I'm sorry, uh, Community Foundation of the Central Blue Ridge in the Shenandoah Valley, Virginia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, thank you. Um, all right. Well, in interest of time, um, obviously we had a lot of great uh, conversation around this, but I'm going to switch us to our next um, uh, batch of questions and all of this kind of um, plays off of one another, but um, somebody mentioned donor fatigue um, and uh, engaging with, with that in a specific way, understanding that that is in fact a real thing. Um, especially when, you know, the country starts coming back online and new organizations um, come, you know, back out of dormancy and need funding and all of that. Um, is anybody engaging with that specifically or creating some sort of strategy around that? Um, has anybody heard about um, Giving Tuesday now um, as far as the uh, Giving Tuesday on May 5th that um, was spun off specifically for COVID and supported by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation? And um, does anybody have a strategy around this or are they thinking about it? Um, um, and then also, how are you engaging donors who have come in through your emergency response fund and how are you making them sticky or repeat donors or do you have a specific strategy around that? So I'm going to throw this back out to the group to get the conversation starting again. Hello. Hi guys. Hello. How are Hi, you? I'm with uh, Whatcom Community Foundation in Bellingham, Washington. Um, we're in the northwest corner of the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> uh, right up against the Canadian border mm -hmm. on the water here. So one of the things that we're working on, I'm really curious if other people are have done this or have, are already doing it, but one thing we're working on um, coming up in the, in the next few weeks is hosting a, this is uh, in response to the engaging donors who come in through the emergency response fund. Mm -hmm. A virtual um, uh, conversation with our CEO, uh, Maury. And, um, and interestingly, as we opened up this uh, webinar, this conversation, I was taking notes about some of the techniques you guys were using to manage, um, to teach, to train uh, all, of the, all of the people who are attending and to engage people. So. Um, so I've gotten some ideas, but you know, one of the things we think is really important um, at this time is to give people an opportunity to, to interact with other people. <laughs> so many people are isolated. We noticed this. We did our um, our I run our scholarships um, program here. My my title is um, philanthropic services and programs director. And so during our scholarship selection process, I wasn't in the actual selection meetings, but I was there for the planning for how, we're gonna, how we were gonna do it virtually. And we had our committee members join us for that. We were so delighted to see each other and to interact with each other. They're all retired people who are, um, one of them lives alone, the other two are married, but they, they aren't unable to see other people right now because they're all in a risk category for, mm -hmm. um, COVID. So it was really fun to see them kind of light up, like interacting with each other. And so we thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to offer this opportunity to our donors, especially our new donors who've come in through the, our fund is called the Resilience Fund, who've come in through mm -hmm. the Resilience Fund. And so, you know, one of the, the best practices that we had heard about before was limiting your Zoom interactions, um, your meetings to 20 people or 20, 20 to 25 people or, or fewer. So how many um, offerings we would have to have to keep it small enough so that people can actually interact. So it's not just a one-way presentation. We've done mm -hmm. video from Maury, but this would be an interactive, they could ask questions and we could respond kind of thing. So that's yeah. kind of our big engagement um, uh, strategy and we actually decided to hold it on the same day that we were going to have our our first one is going to be held on the same day that we were going to hold our um, celebration of giving our annual donor appreciation event and so um, we haven't fully fleshed out the details but we may do several different gatherings on that day to kind of celebrate um, gratitude and giving and that kind of thing so that's one idea and I'd love to hear if other people have done that and, and what it will what the would be. Um, that's wonderful. Thank you, Rachel. I love the 
um, repeat gatherings on the celebration of giving. It just gives, um, makes it a festive event for sure. Yeah, um, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least people will be really happy to see one another. So um, I, I think, think so. that will be great. I can't wait to hear more about that. Um, any other um, ideas um, from Rachel or thoughts on these questions? Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I am from the Stonewall Community Foundation in New York City, uh, right in the heart of it all. Um, I want to start at how, how are you engaging donors who've come in through emergency response funds and my visceral reaction to that is we're letting them give and we're saying thank you right now it's a mm -hmm. little too soon uh, to be doing a whole lot more of course when mm -hmm. they do give they are added to whatever mailing lists they are is appropriate so they start to get information mm -hmm. uh, but the most that we are doing right now specifically is we've lowered the uh, because some of us have more time, we've lowered the threshold for personal thank you letters. So mm -hmm. I'm doing a lot of handwritten note cards mm -hmm. uh, to go out to people. And I don't know about any of you, I've noticed a distinct decrease in mail right now. So mm -hmm. a, a handwritten note card coming through gets seen even more and will be remembered. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly my husband and I just made some donations and are watching to see how people respond uh, right now. Um, our Giving Tuesday strategy is uh, helping our, our, our board. Um, one of the things we've done, we've had to postpone our annual gala, so we've sort of looked at them and said, can you make your gala donations now? You know, they'll mm -hmm. still count, but for cash flow purposes, make them now. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them have stepped up to do that, and many of the others are starting to build peer-to-peer uh, -peer platforms for next Tuesday mm -hmm. um, to reach out. It's, you know, it, it's a tricky time uh, here in New York City where a lot of our donors are, uh, mm -hmm. most of them are. You know, we have rent coming due this week, and yeah. even who uh, are doing okay are still paying rent. So mm -hmm. it's giving Tuesday, much like the regular one, which always follows on the and everything you have in Think of Charity Last is yeah. coming on the heels of, we've all just paid rent. Yeah. So we are relying on essentially $25 and $50 asks of close friends in a peer-to-peer -peer network. And beyond that, um, not doing a whole lot outside of what we're, we're already doing. That said, we have already begun the pivot from emergency to ongoing. Um, mm -hmm. Our first big pivot ask went out yesterday and we've already seen some, some very nice response on that. Mm -hmm. But it's, it, it's really got to be about letting people come to you. you know, yeah. Keeping the door open, keeping the window open, being there with a smiling face and a, and a, and a hearty thank you. Yeah. Right now, particularly in our primary audience zones, uh, pushing is, is not, not going to be well received. Absolutely. Um, I think that that's some really great context overall, and I um, love the perspective of people are getting less meal and also opening mail these days as an event if you're um, at home sheltering in place, and so getting a nice handwritten thank you note is um, heartwarming and unexpected, so I appreciate that perspective a lot, Michael. Thank you. Yep. Um, what other thoughts do we have here? Uh, I'm Sydney Schnur. I am uh, on the board for the Chafee County Community Foundation. We are a almost brand new foundation. We spent the last couple years trying to teach our community philanthropy and convince them that we were not trying to take anything away from the nonprofits. But this is actually... I mean, I hate to say this, this has actually been a silver lining for us because we did not, it was very difficult to explain what we wanted to do mm -hmm. in the community and an emergency response fund was easy for everybody to understand. Mm -hmm. And so we had a huge outpouring for our little community uh, into this response fund, which I can talk about kind of what we did with that in, at a different time. But what we're doing now is uh, focusing on stewardship of the donors who are coming in the door now and showing mm -hmm. them what their dollars are doing. And mm -hmm. we're doing that through social media and also the personalized thank you notes. Uh, we have mm -hmm. a woman 
who loves writing those, who knows everybody. And she's, uh, we're getting second and third donations in response to these, these uh, thank you notes, um, which is awesome. But the yeah. other thing that we have decided to do is, and because we're small, we can do this, um, uh, phone calls to mm-hmm. our really larger, do- you know, our, our, for us, large donors. Um, and the board is gonna is dividing those phone calls up and making those phone calls. And so I, I think the my point is the more personal touches and education that you can do about what your fund our fund anyway is doing, mm-hmm. the better down the road we're going to um, the better response we'll have to asking for operating support. Because for us that's our issue. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't if it's not, if they can't see what it's doing, they don't, you know, they don't want to separate themselves from their dollars. Yeah. The other yeah. thing that we did, I'll tell you one more story and then I'll be quiet. No, you're good. Nope, you're good. <laughs> Appreciate this. Thank you. We live, we live two and a half hours southwest of Denver in mm-hmm. a, an absolutely beautiful part of um, Colorado that mm-hmm. a lot of people have second homes and a lot of retirees come here and Mm -hmm. so we have a group of people who and and really they thought this up themselves and we ran with it the people who got their relief checks who didn't need them Mm -hmm. passed them on to us and so Mm -hmm. we've we've had a a huge out um, pouring of of donations from people who who you know didn't need the money Mm -hmm. and um, those are the people obviously that we're going to cultivate for major gifts down the road. Absolutely. Um, Sid, that's really great. And I actually, um, in asking a few other clients and what they'd like to hear about in this coffee talk, somebody asked about this strategy of passing on the relief checks for people who who didn't immediately need them. So um, I'm interested in throwing that back out to the group. Is anybody else pursuing this type of strategy or have found anything effective here? Um, because I think it is um, very poignant and relevant as well. Um, so I'm going to throw that back out. Thank you, Sid. So the the biggest strategy that we've implied, we've uh, applied to all our major donors is really ensuring that they know and trust that the people or the organizations that we have identified. We've done it in a very uh, collaborative, oh, there we go, my phone rings, in a very collaborative and open process with other local funders um, mm-hmm. and governments. That has been a really big key to this because uh, donors are at, at a community foundation are obviously, they're, they're very well connected to other agencies in the community. And so you don't want to double up and you don't want to... Um, also have donors not know where the importance of their funding can be used now. So it's been a process of about three weeks before we even announced dollars that there was a lot of dialogue going on with our other funders and the, and the government agencies um, locally. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, we've kept them informed. We've constantly kept them informed about the changing needs, um, the mm-hmm. evolution of charitable demands. Um, so that's been a big piece of it because they have become our ambassadors and they are actually opening doors to other uh, donors. So, so we're seeing, um, it's never huge, but we are seeing a number of new names coming to us. And to some gentleman, I forget, I'm sorry, it might be Michael, um, who commented about the fact that, um, you know, the stewarding and the thanking of those donors is, is critical. It, it is absolutely critical. And I think it's, it's critical in the sense that they are the next layer of sharing outwardly. Um, so that's been our process is really just being incredibly transparent, incredibly thorough in sharing how we come to make the decisions we've made in terms of who and what are being granted to. Um, and we've been transparent in sharing the dollar commitments that we're making to those charities as well. So all of our press releases indicate the actual contributions that have gone to these agencies. Um, just to shift gears a little bit, Giving Tuesday is one of those things that rubs me in a funny way. It's just a personal thing. Um, mm-hmm. as, in a community foundation land, we don't fundraise for us, uh, never have, never will. 
we are the 10th largest in Canada, we still raise dollars for our operating needs and we do it through a different way. So we could fundraise for the foundation. Our philosophy has always been fundraise for the agencies in our community and that's not going to differ. So our focus really coming up is to thank those who are making a difference in our community and serving the front lines. And if anyone is, is, has aspirations for supporting, here's the list. Here's the agencies open, serving the vulnerable, and just reinforcing the message that we've been sharing broadly. That's what our purpose is. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is the stewarding, the engaging of new donors. I interestingly, I just posted a, my women's giving group. Um, we launched our group two years ago. We've issued one grant since we launched. Uh, and so we hosted a, a wonderful cocktail party on Monday night. I had 18 of my 30 women showed up, which was awesome. And then we also heard from the agency directly about the kind of day-to-day that she is dealing mm-hmm. with with all organization. And uh, at the end result of the evening, there were three offers from within the group of support, of services and tangible virtual help that we could provide uh, to, to her agency. And so we're sharing that message publicly and sharing that with all of our new donors, that this is the kind of stewarding and connecting that the foundation is offering. And if they have an aspiration or something that they they want to get involved with um, directly through through the commitments, we can help connect them with those charities. So that's kind of how we're stewarding them. Um, Thank you, Sarah. I love that story of the women's giving. (laughs) Um, I think that's great. Um, Appreciate that. Um, We have time for um, maybe one more comment. All great suggestions uh, just to chime in uh, as far as engaging donors and those who are supporting our COVID-19 fund. Um, I think transparency and stewardship Mm -hmm. are two words that just can't be used enough. Uh, Sounds like most of us are already doing that from a stewardship perspective. Uh, you know, depending on our size or depending on our scope, there's you know obviously so many ways to do that. Um, but also transparency-wise, so on a weekly basis, uh, we've been doing grant cycles uh, throughout the month of April, and our uh, communications person has put together a press release uh, within probably 48 hours of the grants being decided upon, and it's been uh, being disseminated to the media. But from a development perspective. We've been getting our hands on that press release as soon as possible as well and sending it directly to those fund holders who have made support or given support to the COVID-19 fund. Uh, Mm -hmm. It shows the grants that have actually been going out into the nonprofits that have specifically been receiving those grants. So that's been kind of a nice little stewardship tool that, you know, given quote normal times, uh, we Mm -hmm. may or may not do that. But uh, so that's been a proactive one. Um, and as far as the, the talk about donor fatigue, one specific thing, we, we typically have had an in-person annual luncheon in mm-hmm. mid-May that we've held, and we usually get some banks and some financial firms to be our sponsors at that level or at that mm-hmm. event, anywhere from maybe $1,000 to $5,000. Um, many of those organizations have supported our COVID-19 fund, and mm-hmm. since we're, we're moving that event to a uh, virtual event. Um, we are going to lay off, so to speak, those solicitations for sponsorships for that event and really mm-hmm. just kind of thank them for the support they've given to the COVID-19 fund. Absolutely. That's great. Thank you, Chris. Um, and I definitely agree with the transparency and stewardship aspect of things. Um, any other Thoughts, questions, things that are gnawing away at the back of your brain that you'd like to ask this group that we're all together, um, now that we're all together. Uh, We didn't actually have a chance to get to our last slide, so I'm going to, oh, one more from Chris. I'm going to throw that back out there. Just a quick question for my friends with other community foundations. You just mentioned, you know, what are some other things? Professional advisor engagement, Mm -hmm. you know, that's something Mm -hmm. community foundations we're always doing, uh, professional advisors throughout our region or area. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, given this time, you know, we were also just kind of treating them a little bit of gloves off only because, um, I should say hands off, not gloves off. Um, (laughs) Just because, uh, you know, what we've been hearing is, you know, they too are inundated 
whether they're financial advisors, CPA accountants, uh, what have you. So I just didn't know if um, anybody else, and maybe that's for a future coffee talk as well. Yeah, um, I can throw it out there for immediate conversation for sure. It looks like we have a hand. I've actually had quite a few conversations with professional advisors and their clients because of the estate planning. We have mm -hmm. done a, so we've been including them in a lot of our e-blasts and we did a targeted one after the CARES Act um, as well, you know, and just talking mm -hmm. about, um, uh, how, you know, the changes there and how that they might want to talk to their clients about um, some of the changes um, impacting them, especially around the IRA um, RMDs this year. So haven't gotten any blowback. Um, and like I said, I've had some actually really good conversations because a lot of them are getting inundated with people doing planning between the market and um, yeah. increased mortality salience of their clients. Yeah. That, that's a Russell James phrase that I just love. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's good. Um, I come from a family of financial advisors, so that rings very true to yeah. me. Um, as far as my brother and sister both dealing with exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So um, I really appreciate uh, that and think it is um, absolutely a great time to continue to bridge that gap um, of services provided to our donors as far as, you know, financial planning philanthropy falls right within that. And it is a great way to get strategic about making an impact in the ways in which you can now, whether it's um, immediate funding or um, deferred or long-term gifts. I think that that's um, a great, Sally. Thank you for sharing that. Um, does anybody else have some kind of quick thoughts about financial advisors? Um, or working with professional advisors in any capacity. I was just penning this in the all panelist attendees comments. Um, so it was actually because of your session two weeks ago that uh, I sent out an e-blast um, personal email to all of our number one um, prioritized advisors. It was really mm -hmm. just to sort of reflect that they too, given all of that's going on, maybe getting questions from clients and customers that needed to know you know, if they wanted to do something charitable, mm -hmm. what would they do and where would they go? Um, and really just to reinforce that we had a fund that and gave them the context of the fund that the foundation is absorbing all of the uh, transactional fees for mm -hmm. every contribution so that 100% of the donation was going to go to the priority identified agencies and mm -hmm. um, included a, the, the one paper that we, we developed for people. Um, and which has the hot links to all of the different charities as well, so that either the agent, the, the advisor could connect us or not, didn't matter. It was more just to ensure that the advisor knew this for the work that was needed out in the community. If they come Absolutely. across it with clients, they could they can share it. Um, I haven't had any response, none, no <laughs> response whatsoever. But Interesting. I but I never get response from these people regardless. So yeah. Um, all I will say is it didn't blow back because I certainly didn't get any negatives. So that's a good mm -hmm. thing too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think providing that education is something that's really important because um, I feel like depending on one of the generation of advisor that you are, kind of the style that you are philanthropy either falls in like more of a priority or less of a priority in that aspect. So getting that information out there is really important. Um, any other thoughts? Oops, another one, a new one. Hi everyone, uh, so I'm from Community Foundation of North Central Washington. Uh, we serve three very large counties in rural Washington state. Um, and I just wanted to chime in on a donor engagement strategy. Um, we, I've been exhausting my wrist with many, many handwritten thank yous like the rest of you. Yeah. I am also working hard to um, show donors the impact of their donations for the immediately immediate mm -hmm. funds. And so we decided to lift the requirement for the grant report for our grantees for our first um, several grant cycles. Uh, mm -hmm. Instead of requiring a formal grant report due you know, in six months or a year as normal, we just ask them to write a simple email with a story and a photo of how they've used the funds. And mm -hmm. um, they have been rolling in this week and yeah. really moving. Um, little stories, anecdotes, photos of masks that people have been making or mm -hmm. um, 
pet food donated to the Humane Society, um, great little stories. And so the ability to quickly share these um, real stories and images with donors, I think is going to be huge um, for us as we continue to cultivate repeat gifts. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just seemed like because we know that these relief funds are being used immediately, we could ask for uh, report stories to be due sooner rather than later, and then make that part of the communication cycle back to donors. Um, I think that's awesome. Um, and just what great material to continue to share with people. Uh, Denise, do you feel like that's gonna change your um, perspective on grant reporting down the road um, as far as kind of lowering some of those barriers? Yeah, it may. You know, we try to right size our reporting requirements with the size of the grants. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes the longer duration, of course, all of us know the longer duration is necessary because the projects might be over a long term or it might be Mm -hmm. operating funds. But I think as we're as if we know that the funding is going to be used um, in the short term, I think it's Mm -hmm. very fair to ask for uh, a simple, uh, maybe a more casual report back. just so we can keep donor, prevent the donor fatigue, maintain the interest and, um, you know, show donors really where their dollars are going. Yeah, Um, that seems really smart. Um, Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Okay, well, we are over time and um, I really appreciate everybody's engagement. Thank you so much. Everybody have a great rest of your week and we will see you next time. Take care. So that was our conversation. There were so many ideas and so many new ideas because this is a new situation. We're going to keep bringing you conversations like this following the coffee talks that we host online. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundant Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk.